Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. We do this every Friday um, at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is on the 14th of September, 2018, and it's episode 328. And I've got a really great panel here. We've got a great special guest, got Rachel Cherry. Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Uh, I'm Rachel Cherry. In the WordPress world, I am the director of WP Campus, where we focus on WordPress and its usages in higher education. So it's a lot of fun. We have a couple conferences. We have a really big Slack community. And otherwise, I'm a software engineer, and I do a lot of accessibility work, consulting and development, and higher ed consulting and development. So a little bit about Mm -hmm. me. And she was formerly a Disney princess. There we go. Uh, there we go. Uh, um, so, John, um, would you like to introduce yourself? My name's John Locke, and I do SEO for manufacturing and industrial firms. That's great. And you're not a Wix fan, are you? It's not what I would choose, no. No, there we go. Uh, Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Spencer Foreman from WPLaunchify.com, and I help people build profitable membership sites with marketing automation. That's great. And Moulton, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Not really. Don't, don't be like that. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Morton, uh, Senior Staff Instructor with Linda, no, with LinkedIn Learning. I'm super, super jealous. It's a bit confusing, isn't it? Because I keep changing the name. <laughs> Oh, I'm extremely jet lagged. I just came back from Germany from yeah. Smashing Con Freiburg. So, I, uh, apologies in advance for uh, yeah. being just generally confusing today. Oh, it should be interesting. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, uh, you know, especially if you're flying. Well, Rachel's here. Yeah. How can I not join? Rachel's, <laughs> I just have to say, Rachel is one of the best people and not in a Trump way, just in a real way. <laughs> I'm glad you made that clarification. Right, <laughs> and we've got Chris. Um, Chris, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. I'm Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS, which is a WordPress solution for creating, selling, and protecting online courses. And I have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. That's great. Um, so we're going to start with story one, which is. WordPress 4.9.9 release focus item includes site health project and Gutenberg presentation. That's a title. And in the tradition of this panel, I'm going to let Rachel, a guest panelist, start with the first story. Um, So what do you think of, um, what's the highlights of 4.9.9 release, Rachel, to you? Well, for me, accessibility I mean, any kind of, anytime we have a focus on that, it's amazing. I was, I was just scanning this um, earlier and my first initial thoughts was like, wow, this sounds like a lot uh, for 4.9.9. But we were also talking about this a little bit in the accessibility team this week in Slack and they were all really excited. But at this point, there's, there's not any specific accessibility focus. Like they haven't, you know, made tickets. They haven't said exactly what they want to do. So We'll all be curious to see um, what they what they land on, but yeah, this sounds like a lot to go in like what a month or two they want to have it done. Yeah, what do you reckon, Moulton? Uh, first of all, Alash Lesser is uh, one of the other good people. <laughs> the the one of the leads there. Uh, he's uh, uh, very in like he's a very advanced PHP developer, and I'm glad to see that some of the more, more um, like, so, some new people are coming into WordPress core as leads because I think Alain especially will change the way that we think about a lot of things in WordPress in general. He 
he's just a really, really skilled developer and he's done some amazing WordCamp talks that are worth checking out. Um, what really stands out to me in this thing has nothing to do with what goes in it. It has to do with the re release schedule. Uh, the Sorry. <laughs> sorry, I blew out everyone's ears. That was um, Let's see. It says <laughs> release date. Or beta, Monday, October 22nd, which is some months and a week from now. Uh, release candidate, Monday, October 29th, which is a week after. And then release date, Monday, November 5th. This is relevant because Monday, November 5th means if Gutenberg and 5.0 is going to be released in 2018, that gives Gutenberg and 5.0 a total of Five, uh, four, five, six, seven weeks, which is extraordinarily <laughs> short. It's actually shorter than the 4.9.9 release. So <laughs> I'm going to, you know, just carefully put a lot of money into the pot that says we're not going to see 5.0 this year unless something like there's a parallel development thing happening between 4.9.9 and 5.0, which would also be unheard of because it would cause all sorts of other problems. So this is a pretty strong indicator that uh, the myth of Gutenberg in 2018 is a myth. Oh, did they, did they tell you that they've got a secret parallel group that's been working on this <laughs> with all the resources automatic? You know, did they, was you... Did they share that with well, you? No, but I mean, there is a non, <laughs> there is a non-secret group. It's called the Gutenberg plugin. But I mean, the reality is, you know, Matt said August. August is gone. We're now in September. There's like 800 million bugs in the Gutenberg repo. Uh, <laughs> the this thing 4.9.9 wasn't supposed to happen at all. I mean, think about it. It's 4.9.9. What comes after that? 4.9.10? <laughs> so, yeah. Accessibility focus is good. Uh, white screen of death focus is odd, but whatever. Uh, it, What's that about? Do you know anything about that? It's just preventing Word, WordPress from going to white screen of death, which is a good idea. I mean, it's usually caused by uh, broken plugins, but that normally gets caught by WordPress itself, or it's caused by terribly coded themes with PHP errors. And I don't know how you can avoid that because those are like direct clashes in code. Maybe Rachel knows. How do you, like, if you write a, th that's what causes white screen of death. It's like you have a function that's called like <laughs> get post in your theme. And then WordPress is like, <laughs> there are two functions with the same name, and then you just get a white screen. Right? So, yeah, generally they're fatal PHP errors. So the only way you could do that would be so like when you activate a theme for WordPress to scrub the theme and be like, no, 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 before it activates it, right? Well, actually, there... Okay, so I will say this. There's a cool plugin that just came out that some friends of mine built that they showed at WordCamp Orange County, and they won. They work, Orange County has a big old plugin contest, plugin palooza or something, and they won it with this plugin, and I oh, I need to look it up. but. It's That's pretty much detective. what it. Plugin detective, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. You should check it out. And what it does is it like it it stops it's, white it's, screen of death and it tells you like what's going on. But it isn't well. What it does is if you have a white screen of death, you run the plugin and it finds it like it it goes through and like deactivates the plugin and then it'll test to see if it's still there and if it if it isn't, it'll like it'll go through and kind of like mark things out. Uh, I can't think of the phrase to describe that, but. It's a cool plugin. It it claims that it will uh, basically remove white screens of death. Like if that happens, it does something on your. Yeah, it is it, it is really Ooh. cool. And actually, um, Chris had an interview with a developer. So if you go to Chris's um, podcast archive, when, when did you have? I've got the gentleman's name actually, Chris. And when did you have that? Tyler. When did you have that interview? Nathan Tyler is his name, and. Uh, it was a podcast about two months ago, and we also did an in-depth webinar with him about it. Yeah, it's great. So if you want to learn all about that, I suggest... So, Spencer, what did you think of this 4.9.9? No, this, is, this is a rare instance where I really don't have anything to add other than what I just heard, which is I, I thought it was an interesting, uh, optimistic schedule. 
because of all the reasons that you're going to launch this major thing before the end of the year with five seconds left on the clock uh, seems ill-conceived or unnecessarily rushed for some political reason if it actually happens. I don't, I don't see what's the difference if it makes it in 2018 or yeah. March of 19. Yeah, I'll yeah, tell I don't, you. Oh, sorry, go on, Rachel. I was just going to say this whole idea that we should, that it should be launched like crazy on a deadline is just silly because it's so important. It's such a huge thing. Like it should launch when it's ready. Like we shouldn't be rushing this. So I hope that they're not, they're not going to, I know, um, I'm at loss for words this morning. I hope they're not going to sacrifice quality just for the sake of, of getting this out and making themselves look okay. They would be strongly advised not to do that, Rachel, wouldn't they? <laughs> we would hope so. I, I, I want to reality. Say, I was thinking one thing to add about that uh, new plugin. One of the things that, uh, you know, all of us been around for a long time have to do whenever you see a white screen of death is to learn the trick of go FTP, SFTP, and like turn off plugins temporarily without doing it through the dashboard to see what's breaking. I was thinking if there's some way that that kind of a feature makes it into the core of WordPress, that would be pretty neat because the ability to selectively go down the list, like this is breaking it, this is breaking it, this is breaking it, without having to undo all your settings would be undeniably a, a, a smile maker. Certainly would be. <laughs> uh, does John or Chris, do you want to um, add anything to this or should we go to story two? Two, two. All right, let's go for story two. All right. Um, so that's from a, somebody I really admire and I always read his stuff and that's Rand Ruskin. And he did a presentation on the Inbound Conference 2018. And um, it's um, very entertaining um, and up to his normal standard of brought up some interesting points does anybody i don't know if spencer if you had time to quickly look at the video what were uh, some of the key things that you thought of his presentation I, I think the slide deck is worth looking at the video is fine it's great but the slide deck was useful uh i think it just proves a point it's a, no matter what size company you are take a look at why you would even consider building something for an idea and the essential thing that i took away from it which is really ageless timeless is that you need to find a pain point. It's better that you find one particular thing to be known for, decide whether and why you need to take money because it's easier to make money as a founder if you don't take all the way to the end of venture capital money. Every time you take a little more money from somebody, it's a little more you have to sell it for. But ultimately, I think in building his company, I watched his whole drama. It wasn't drama, it was his life, but the whole you know story of Moz and all of the other things that went along with it and his admitted difficulties in dealing with some things that all of us have to you know be challenged by. But in doing this next time around, he seems to be at least very uh, definitive, which I love. But even if it's a big company, be careful what you plan and what you wish for because you can oftentimes have a very successful outcome if you just don't try to be those things that are all stereotypical that you're reading or hearing about in the news or by venture capitalists, uh, you know, uh, blogs. Instead, you could just focus on solving one really important pain point for a group of people you care about. And I think that scales down nicely to even a solopreneur. I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought another, I'm going to hand it over to Chris in a second. Um, but I thought one of the highlights to me is that um, he kind of pointed out the kind of, um, I didn't totally agree with, with his reason why this has happened but i thought it's quite insightful that you pointed out the amount of new companies that are starting in the u.s is drastically reducing actually um in silicon valley in the bubble of silicon valley this is idea that there's, there's companies starting all over the place but when you actually look at the reality entrepreneurship and actually starting small companies and that is actually in quite a decline and he's um, one of the main points that he was making that he felt it was through the VC culture. I I personally think it's um, really down to the monopolization of of the American economy and Western economies in general, and it just isn't um, the oxygen for small to medium companies. Um, so much of the economy is now dominated by monopolistic um, large companies 
Um, so, Chris, what do you what do you thought of his presentation? What were some of the key points to you? One of the big takeaways for me was the uh, when he talked about not expanding the offer too much. And uh, the, there's a classic business book called Good to Great. And one of the classic problems that companies make when they're starting up is they do something that's called a line extension, where you know, if you open a marketing agency or a web design agency, and then you start doing all these things and SEO and, and it, it's just, you just do everything and you lose your focus. It's a, it's a classic fumble. Um, and he mentioned that that was part of what he's, what he saw happening and how uh, Moz got overtaken. Uh, so that focus I think is really important. He also mentioned, which I thought was interesting that if you have a good story and, and also a, around a good pain point or problem that you're solving, that there can be a lot of forgiveness in the marketplace or in your customer base when you make mistakes or when you fumble. And I think on a different side of saturation or monopolization of what you're talking about, I used to be kind of not really into branding or a story and stuff like that. I was just more into like direct response, like you know, just kind of that style of marketing. But as time goes on and everything gets so efficient, I think story becomes more and more important and features are kind of table stakes these days. So we're kind of going back to the fundamentals of brand, of branding with story and knowing and liking and trusting people and uh, brands. And I, I think that's just becoming even more important these days. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, so, um, so what did you think of Morton? Because um, he, he made some really good points, but um, I don't. I thought the one thing that I didn't agree with him was, which, which is what I've already stated, why um, small businesses aren't being set up. You know, I know the fail rate is, don't matter how many startups will fail, but it does seem to be a contraction of of people starting things in some ways. But and I think that's the strength of WordPress because that's got gone against the trend where there's the, one of the great things about WordPress is that there's been a lot of startup um, people trying different things, isn't it? I have nothing to say about this. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. I have not re- watched this video. That's why. No, I don't want to say anything that's uninformed. No, I totally understood. So, um, John, what did you think? There's some excellent points that Rand made here. And he, he talked about his own experience at, at Moz a little bit, but mostly this was focusing on other businesses who have made this journey. One of the very first things that he says is by focusing on one thing well, you're more likely to be memorable and people can uh, remember your product for a specific thing. Once you are absolutely established like that, you can expand. And I'll tell you a little story. Um, there's a bakery in town here called Edere's. It's really uh, popular here. But when the guy first came here, I worked there for a little while, um, for a few months. Um, but when the guy first came here, all he made was croissants. It's literally all he made. Uh, and he became known for that. <clears throat> he executed on that one thing really well. And um, as he went on, now they do everything. They do everything from cakes, bread, you know, cookies, desserts, they serve lunch, dinner, whatever. It all started with just that one product. So that's a really important thing. Um, Another thing he talked about near the end was we celebrate venture capital. We we celebrate like these businesses that uh, try and go for a moonshot. But most of those end up on the, the trash heap of history. I think that we need to celebrate more sustainable businesses like Rand that are bootstrapped <clears throat> or, you know, get funding from friends and family or crowdfunded, but are, their chances of survival are much longer because the people investing aren't looking for a moonshot. They're looking for a sustainable business with a great story. That And, and he brought up a great um, point in here in the slide deck as Spencer, as Spencer mentioned. Uh, when you're crafting a story that your product solves, a problem for your customers, find the emotional, uh, the most emotional um, story that you can find. 
solve those pain points. But, you know, when you're telling the story of, of how your product does that, use emotional triggers instead of just benefits and features because everybody has those. And as Chris mentioned, branding and the, the, the way that you're positioning yourself and, and the story that you're telling is what's going to be different. Apple and Samsung are virtually the same products, but Apple sells theirs for, for much, much more because they tell a different story. So that's it. Yeah, I think it was kind of linked. I was listening to uh, pod, I was listening to an episode of Mixergy, the podcast, and he had um, he had one of the founders of Unbound on, um, and I think they said that last year they did twenty million in um, net turnover, which is um, and they they've and they said that they have refused to do some of the things that. Rand pointed out you shouldn't, and they're laser focused on what they um, their target audience and what they provide. So, but it's difficult, isn't it, Chris? Where where, where do you take you know? Because um, have you been tempted with your own company to add other features that are not really in the core of, of your core product, really? A little bit, and I don't think I've necessarily executed on this perfectly. That being said, the, the solving the problem of learning and education entrepreneurship is quite multifaceted. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things. So as an example, we built our own e-commerce engine. We do integrate with WooCommerce as well if people want to use that. But sometimes I question, should we... Should we have just integrated with Woo? But in many ways, what you can do with ours does more than what you can do with Woo, and then you need a bunch of other plugins to do it. But so should I be in the e-commerce business? Was that a mistake to go over there? But then I look at another company, like something like uh, Optin Monster, and, and sometimes I get like jealous in a fun way of like, okay, we're just getting leads. That is the sole purpose of this business, and it's through pop-ups. <laughs> And that's just like a really simple, straightforward focus. So I admire that when I look at a product that's like really well positioned and that does one thing really well and just puts the story, the brand, the feature set, the community all around this one thing. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts on it. All right. What did, uh, what did you think, Rachel? I did not. I'm with Morton. I'm, I'm on Team Morton on this one. I had no chance to watch it or even look at it. So right, I've, uh, be I've been enjoying the. I've been enjoying the conversation. All right, that's great. I think we're going to go for our break, actually, folks. But before that, I want to talk about one of my one of my great sponsors, and that's Kinster Hosting. And what Kinster is is that they're just a better host than WP Engine. It's just end of the story, really. Um, they are they're better value. They offer better technology and they're just nicer people to deal with. And we host the WP Tonic website on Kinsta. It's been really just fantastic, a fantastic experience. I know all the top people that are in the Kinsta family. They're big enough to have all the support and resources, but small enough to still care. And I know, like I say, I know all the top people in Kinsta and it's just been a pleasure to work with them and to have their support. And it's much appreciated, their support. So if you want to um, use Kinsta yourself or use it for one of your clients, I would highly suggest that you go over to the Kinsta site and find out more about them and what they can offer for you. So we're going to go for our break and we'll be back in a minute. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. Got a great panel. Uh, um, some of them have got jet lag, but there we go. You can't have it all, can you? Uh, um, so um, off with this, it's, it's, a, it's actually a... a t- 
a Twitter feed and it came from John actually. And uh, we could take this in multiple ways actually. What is Wix really? What if Wix really is better than WordPress? Shock horror, no chance. So, John, what did you like about this Twitter feed and um, what do you think? What, what do you want to pre- present to the panel to start off the conversation? So to, to set this up too, uh, if anybody's seen that screenshot of Elon Musk with a big blunt on uh, Joe Rogan's show, that, that's with, with that confused look on his face, uh, that's the accompanying photo to this one. I'm, I'm tempted to talk about his, um, his interview with uh, the great man himself. I listened to it yesterday. It was a, it was a great conversation, actually, wasn't it? Did you listen to the actual podcast? I have not listened to the actual podcast. You really yet. should, actually. Yeah. Uh, talk about being on a different plane of consciousness. And I, I, I don't mean that by the drug-induced element. I think I think he's there anyway. He doesn't need any any assistance, really. Um, sorry, John. Oh, anyway, but, you know, it, and, and basically, like, this tweet was just, it, it was basically just a really good joke. It's a really good meme. Uh, but here's the thought, you know, let's, I think it's important that we always examine what our beliefs are and, and challenge them always to see if they're still true. And, you know, we always hear that WordPress is the best for SEO and, and it can't be topped. And definitely there's a lot of, of things that are good about it, but let's always look, I'm not saying Wix is better for SEO. I think the, underlying code that that gets output into the page is garbage. Um, I, I don't think it's really conducive for SEO. Um, you know, uh, and also I saw somebody else's Twitter feed um, that I follow. I can't think of their name directly right now, but I, I think they deal a lot in accessibility and, and they were pointing out some stuff that I didn't really realize about Squarespace that they make it difficult to do SEO by, you know, certain things uh, like the the alt text in images is by default the file name. They make it really hard to to change the alt tags. Um, accessibility tips are hidden in tool tips that you have to hover over. Uh, you know things of that nature. But I think it's good. Let's you know always challenge our beliefs. So Rachel, um, in you know kind of accessibility is also kind of linked to SEO because a, a really well coded site that as good accessibility is also going to, um, when it comes to the Google spiders, it's just going to be loved by them. So they go in hand to hand. And I, I don't think it's not only an attack on Wix and Squarespace, but also maybe the code that's produced by a lot of these page builders. How do you see Fins in 2018? Is there a lot of people that don't realize they're producing a lot of junky code and it's not very accessible and not very SEO friendly? Well, what I find funny when people say that like WordPress is really great at SEO is that it's not WordPress's job. It's really the theme developer's job. I mean, like it's what produced on the front end. I mean, WordPress helps in having like default admin fields for some stuff that helps SEO, but it all depends on what theme you use. So you could build a custom theme that uses WordPress to power content, but if your theme, you know, is producing front-end code that's crap, then you, you may not be any better off than Wix or Squarespace. So it's really up to you and your theme and what you pick and what you go with. And then to fall back on theme developers, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, you know, I, I mostly build custom themes, so... I can't speak to a lot of like very specific theme shops or whatever. Um, you know, I've been working with Morton on WP rig a theme that we've been building and, and, you know, and that's been a big focus on us is making sure it's accessible and performant and things like that. And, and I know there's some other themes that have come out um, that have been trying to focus on that too. So hopefully there is a transition moving because you're right. It, if your theme is accessible, then it really does help a lot with SEO because uh, ultimately good accessibility is just good markup. Like it's valid HTML. You're using things appropriately. You know, you're not using, um, you know, dims when you should be using something more specific like a button. You know, you're not using spans for buttons, things like this. You're including headers appropriately. You're including valid, you know, text alternatives to content that 
uh, search engines can pick up. So uh, hopefully, you know, I'll, what I try to focus on is, is kind of awareness and education so that we just keep moving forward. But, you know, I, I would love to see the day where like, if you're going to be in the theme repo, you have to be accessible. If you're going to be in the plugin repo, you have to be accessible. Plugins would be more complex to kind of judge on that behalf, but that's that's a future that I would like to get to because until like the foundation or the community in general puts a big focus on this and actually kind of sets some actual standards and rules that everyone has to follow and not just core, then you know we're not really going to make a whole lot of progress and we're still going to see a lot of really you know crappy sites. And then the struggle on top of that being that like you know, we like to tout that WordPress is like 30 something, whatever percent of the internet, but, you know, and then to coin a cheesy phrase with great power comes great responsibility. You know, if we're going to power all these websites, then what we do really matters because we're setting a precedent and we're setting a foundation and these things that we do really make a difference. So we need to be doing the right things. And right now we're, accessibility is not a super priority. It's not enough of a priority. And so we definitely have a lot of room to go on that front. Right. Spencer, what do you think? I don't know what you're going to say about this. Actually. <laughs> well, this, this one, I, I, I'm going to tell you my point and then I'm going to tell you a story. I feel that we've reached a point of maturity in the web marketplace that really makes no difference to the end user, the people who are visiting websites, what is used to make the website. In fact, it, it has happened to me regularly that many of my clients and other consulting retainer clients have come to me and said, look, I'm really good at graphic design. I just am making these cafe things for my clients. Do I need WordPress or can I use Squarespace? And in most cases, I ask them a series of questions. Will they need these future higher powered capabilities? And if the answer is no, I often time give them my blessing. And I say, yes, use Squarespace because it's faster. But here's the story. A couple of years back in 2006, 7, 8 something, Costco started selling flat panel TVs from a company called Vizio, which is a Korean company. What was amazing was I was a home builder before then. Normally to get a flat panel display was thousands and thousands of dollars for a 50 inch display. This company started selling for $1,250, these flat panels that nobody knew the name, but it was unbelievable at the time that I could watch flat panel 720p, I think it was at the time. Now, that kept going in the market matured. You still can see a Costco, Samsung, you know, crazy $10,000 displays. But a new company, TCL, is now at Costco. For a 55-inch 4K with HDMI inputs and Roku, and it'll wash your dog for you on weekends, $299 for on sale, a 55-inch 4K TV. It's unbelievable, right? But I actually have it. The point is, the end user, the watcher of the TV, really doesn't give a rat's ass if I'm paying $299 and I get to watch 4K whatever from the internet. I don't need to spend $4,000 anymore. And in the same way, the visitors to a website will see the same pixels and never know what the code is. So if the person putting out the website feels that using Wix gets them to the you know, place on time faster and they're never going to need to do integration with marketing automation or WooCommerce or LMS or any of those key features, I say God bless you. Because ultimately WordPress's best benefit is one thing, to avoid using a platform solution to develop something more custom. I use WordPress where somebody would otherwise go off into God forbid, Kartra or, you know, some other thing that has all these components that are necessary for their marketing business, but not necessarily just because of the CMS or the page building and and so forth. And so for that, WordPress is still the best solution because it keeps you from being locked into somebody's cage with certain exceptions. But for just, you know, most website stuff, even blogs and, you know, a, a restaurant with a menu, Wix, Weebly, Squarespace, Whatever floats your boat. I mean, just pick the one that's easiest for your end user. And I don't think WordPress has to own every piece of that market. Mm, yeah, what do you reckon, Bolton? You know you can get Costco to build your website. Can you? <laughs> yeah, they can sell you? website services. They sell everything. Costco is like, oh, there is a product. We will have a version of this product. Eve <laughs> Throths, websites, 
moving services on outboard motor for your boat? Of course we have this random shit lying around. <laughs> it's, like, it's kind of linked to the previous story, isn't it? It's totally it, the opposite, it, it, isn't it's it? A, really? It's a membership economy. That's the whole, yeah. like, if you're going to sell all, anything, sell everything, but make sure it's still that one purpose, which is yeah. come here. You know. They sell cars too. Like you can buy cars from Costco, but only like certain cars from certain. No, I think that's just like, I think I think that's just like Costco sells, you know, Volvos or something like that. It's like Costco sells one specific version of like the Ford F one fifty this month. So if you want that particular car, you can get it with your Costco membership. Um, that's neither here nor there. The, I think the um, uh, Spencer is absolutely right. People don't care what they use as long as they get what they want, which is a website. And we, we've talked about this before, the web community has done an appalling job at explaining to people what the service is, like what kind of service you get when you uh, pay for web design, that you're not getting a website built, you're getting all the research and the marketing, and all, like all the other knowledge uh, that comes with the web designer. And these services like Wix and Weebly and all that, they sell this promise of you can do it yourself which funnily enough is what WordPress does. Except WordPress is like, you can do it yourself. You have to do a bunch of extra work, but what you get is freedom. And then we don't do any more explanation around that. So like this idea that we have that, you know, uh, our, our um, leg up in the marketplace is that we are free from control of corporate entities or whatever. People don't understand that because we don't market it. In fact, the only people who market it is automatic, which is not that. That's an actual corporation, right? They ran an ad a couple of years ago that was saying exactly that. So people in general don't understand the value proposition of open source. In fact, they think open means dangerous and lethal and insecure because it has the word open in it. So I totally think that for a lot of people, Wix and Squarespace and everything is a better solution because all they want to do is muck around and build a web page and be done with it. And WordPress can't do that. Um, if we want to beat them at that game, we're chasing the wrong horse. Like we should be saying, this is what makes WordPress special. And that's why you should pick WordPress. And if you don't want that, then go with one of these other solutions instead of saying, we're going to make ourselves look like that other thing because they're not the same thing. And then stop chasing the 50% because that's just dumb. Not that I have a strong opinion about it or anything, but you know. Which, which by the way, is strong, which is a strong argument feeding into the whole it was, we were sad you weren't here last week because the whole Gutenberg thing and the pivot all revolves really at the end of the day. Like, who are we exactly trying to be here? Because if we're trying to compete against Squarespace and Wix and Weebly for ease of use by people that don't want to do higher things, maybe that's the wrong target. Maybe it should be oriented towards people who want to build, you know, platform-like solutions but not necessarily have to code at all. Who knows? But certainly you can't be both. You can't be like a one-page site builder. Oh, it's so easy. At the same time, you're trying to be an extensible platform for people that want to do real stuff. Well, you've said, you know, I think that's been one of your main concerns, hasn't it, John? You, you know, the discussions we've had over the months, you've, you've felt that this whole move is aimed really at, I'm putting words in your mouth, but you, you're going to quickly correct me, <laughs> aimed at the um, Ron target audience, really. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, I mean, it's not right or wrong. I mean, it's right for, you know, automatic. They're, yeah. they're targeting DIY builders. And that's why there's pushback from the people who help build WordPress, the agencies and developers who have advocated for it for the last, you know, dozen years. So. Do you, right, do you want to say <laughs> 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 he was expecting some sort of full-on 45-minute presentation, I think. <laughs> no, no you, you always get it, Robert. Do you want to uh, expand on that, Spencer? No, I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting. This thing is going to work itself out, but I remember other metaphors like we talked about smartphones a couple of shows back, right? Like there was a time when people were migrating from let's say a flip phone to a trio, trio Blackberry, Blackberry, oh, the first iPhone. And there's this whole debate, which is the best way to go? And what's the metaphor? And oh, look, I have buttons, I don't. And then eventually everybody settled into, yeah, it's the shape of an iPhone with a touchscreen. And now that conversation's gone. And I feel like by the time this whole thing settles out, we're going to be having holographic websites or you know devices attached to our heads. And this whole idea of 
how do you make pixels show up on a flat screen in front of your face is going to be a moot point because we're not going to be using that as the device anyway. I mean, that's the only thing I would say for long, long-term growth or strategy, whatever WordPress and Automatic decide to be, it should be something that is more about the, the end user's relationship and how they want to stay with this company because of the way they're treated so that as the technologies and the way that websites or you know, web stuff is used, they'll be loyal to the company. Our conversations about the <clears throat> Mr. Auditor of the WP forums treating people who have things to say has a lot more to do with their future than whether the pixels are this or that in 2018. Because I think nobody's going to forget the way they were treated during this whole transitional period. And, you know, the history is littered with examples of, uh, you know, best company today, forgotten tomorrow. I, I, I just can't resist the temptation, actually, Spence. I'm going to ask you a quick question that's got nothing to do with this conversation, really. But there we go. Elon decision to have some recreational weed um, on a a very popular podcast. Do you you think he's no idiot? You know, he's one of the sharpest business intellectual kind of people around. He He must have been aware of the message that he was broadcasting by doing that. Or do you think he didn't think about it at all? I think Elon Musk represents all that's good in humanity in our generation insofar as he's an individual as a contrarian who is absolutely brilliant, absolutely doing things as a stated goal, which are for the good of humanity. The fact is, though, he's got a, because of who he is and how he does that, I feel like he's got this desire to do things a certain way, which is put the weight of the world on his shoulders and his personal life reflects that in his scheduling. And so I can't even imagine, because he's the same age as I am, how much he has to deal with. So I don't think that he did it without thinking, but what I do think he did is he made a very quick-witted calculation that he's in California, it's legal, it's provocative. He really, I think, has stated a desire to get himself out of the IPO public company situation where all of these short sellers and everybody else is trying to manipulate the business so he could just succeed. But at the same time, I can't imagine because I've had my moments where I put my hand through the wall of my house, but he's probably got like times 10,000 every single day where instead of it being recognized that like, look what he's really doing for mankind. I mean, maybe not everything is perfect, but like literally higher goals than just making money for Twitter or something. I say cut the guy a break. But more importantly, if you substitute a blunt, whether it had marijuana in it or not, he was in California. It is legal. If he had a scotch or something at the end of the show, there wouldn't even be a conversation about it. But it's oh, he was drinking a lot of scotch as well. They were looking. But you know, I'm saying, like, in other words, just because oh, it's there may be marijuana. Well, in a year from now, everybody may wake up and decide that the medicinal and other reasons are good enough that now marijuana is legal, just like alcohol. And I could go off and on about the how prohibition came about and why and why they changed it. So I just say, like, what do you? What what's the conversation even about? If I was him, I'd be probably in my closet smoking marijuana all day long just to get the you know sleep that I need or something. Uh, I'm going to ask more. To, you know, I'm going off track here a little, but I just yeah. couldn't res- I just couldn't resist it because it was uh, it was just fascinating to watch the interview and what they were discussing. It just kind of blew me away. But what do you? You must have been. Uh, part of me thinks it was just a bid to reduce the share price so he could get it down to a level where he could just buy the whole company. I don't know. Uh, any thoughts about it, Morton? So the next story is an interesting article in the Smashing magazine called A Brief Guide About Competitive Analysis. Yeah, right. I think this is probably one of the most overlooked components of the proper design process that we have in weapon of the product development to actually look carefully at what is happening between uh, in, in the marketplace you're working in, which relates closely to all the other things we've been talking about so far. I'm sorry, did I take over your show from that asinine <laughs> conversation about an idiot smoking on TV? I don't care. Like, October 17th... I mean, you can call him anything, but he's not an idiot. <laughs> October 17th, pot will be legal in Canada. So all Canadian content, music, TV, movies, it's all going to be like 
half-baked, stoned-out idiots. I'm so hungry. <laughs> like that's gonna be Canadian content from now on. That's, by the way, my birthday. I cannot tell you how many people have been threatening to show up with like pot cakes and all sorts of shit at my party, which I'm not having. So whatever. So anyway. It'd be like SCTV back in the 70s. Whatever. Yes, exactly. So competitive analysis. If you're going to write one, th- read one thing this weekend, it actually should be this article on Smashing Magazine because competitive analysis is this thing that people often consider to be just a thing you do. Like, like oh yeah, I looked at the website of one of my competitors and I understand what they do. But that's not... Um, what it is and what it should be. And this article breaks down a procedure for doing competitive analysis that's really useful. I it was that really very makes good. it into something actionable. I say all this because um, in my class, uh, interaction design class at the university I teach at, we spend a lot of time on these different design techniques. Like we just expose the students to all the different techniques. Like we do uh, we build personas and use empathy maps and do competitive analysis and comparative analysis. And we do um, uh, heuristic uh, evaluations. Like we just make them go through all these things. And what you see when you start actually doing them rather than just thinking you are, is you learn so much about what your weaknesses and strengths are by just looking at what other people are doing. So the, and I think like this whole conversation about like, Wix and uh, WordPress and uh, Squarespace and all these other things. One of the things that we're missing in that conversation is we don't have a proper competitive and comparative analysis between WordPress and other tools. We all talk about how WordPress is better or worse than them, but we don't actually ever spend the time to break that down. It would be really interesting to see someone do an unbiased analysis of all of these tools to see what are the strengths and weaknesses of each and where are there um, opportunities for advancement? Because that's what you do, right? You look at everything that your competitors are doing and then you say, what are the holes? Like my holes, like this is my product. This is what they are doing. What are the things they're doing that I can do better than what they are? And how can I fill in the gaps? And then also where are the opportunities that are missed by all my competitors? If there are certain things that none of them are doing, that's probably where you want to specialize because that's the thing that you can give that other people are not. So yeah, go read that. Yeah. Everything on Smashing Magazine is really good. Smashing is kind of turning into the new list apart. Um, I'm not it's saying that because I spoke at their conference this week or anything. But, you know. <laughs> but uh, it seems to have ebbs and flows where the actual... Con- and of course, got Rachel... Rachel Andrews, you know, I'm a great fan of Rachel. I'm going to try and get her on the round table. Uh, um, she's been on the show as the interview, but Rachel's a great um, lady. Um, and thanks for putting me back on topic. I, I was I was jumping the shark there a little bit. Was I just couldn't resist it. But what did you reckon, Spencer, with, with Moulton? And he's put me back on the right track again. But I thought it was a great article, actually. What did you think? I was, I'll answer it a different way. I'll say I find that there's different types of mindsets, and I happen to be in the non-analytical. Uh, Luke Stacy, who does a lot of our analytical work for my company, is of the other side. He's super analytical. He would agree fully with Martin, and I think that's a valid point, that I think mm-hmm. if you're going to be competitive, you have to look at the data. But I think marketing people, and I fall into the marketing, psychology, sales, people side of things, we're non-analytical. We're intuitive gut, like people person. Analytical people have to look at the facts. So he often drags me back from my shiny ball syndrome. But a lot of times he's stuck in the data so much. And I'm like, no, it's about the people. It reminds me of Star Trek, you know, like Mr. You know, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, right? You need the two of them to balance out. So I think this is definitely a tool that any company can benefit from. But I would caution anybody to avoid necessarily using that exclusively because it goes against our first story or Rand Fishkin's story about people and storytelling and loyalty and relationships. You could have the most definitive analytics in the world and fail horribly because people just don't like you, don't care about you, and so forth. Yeah, what do you reckon, Rachel? Any thoughts? Sorry, I didn't get a chance to read that one either. <laughs> <laughs> right. At least we just saw John. You got want to wrap it up? What do you think between the two camps, the analytical or the intuitive gut? Or do you have to combine both together, really, John? Yeah, I think you have to, to, to combine both. I mean, you can go completely, you know, one way with 
design thinking and get all of the post-it notes and all, all this sort of thing. I mean, yeah, you're going to do competitive analysis if you're, you know, introducing a product or an app or a, you know, service out in the marketplace, you're going to have to know what you're up against. But, uh, I, and yeah, you have to look at the data of, of what people are asking for. But I, I think in the end, you have to know the audience that you're trying to reach. Um, and I, I think for me, for me, the people that I work with, most of it, it's pretty targeted. You know, if you're trying to have a unicorn type of app that's trying to reach like 11 billion people, it might be a little bit different. But, you know, you have to, it's just basically trying to figure out how is your product different from anybody else's and then, you know, uh, positioning yourself in a way that's different than every other thing on the market. So, can I, can I, uh, important. Yes. Competitive and comparative analysis and any kind of like quant analysis is not a one and done and only thing. I mean, a proper design process includes both the soft stuff that Spencer was talking about and the hard analytical stuff. If you go in one direction or the other, you're doing, you're making a huge mistake because you're missing out on data. Like, this is one of the things that I think a lot of people simply don't know because they haven't worked in large design teams is that the only way that you can really get where you want to go is by throwing all the different types of methodologies at it at the same time. You take the best pieces of different types of techniques to get the most data. Like I've worked with designers who are very quant focused, like quantitative focused, so they do a lot of you know, spreadsheets and shit. And I've done, worked with lots of intuitive designers that just work off what they think looks good and it just feels right and everything. And it's only when you really get them to work together that you truly get something special. So yes to everything Spencer said, yes to everything I said, put it all together, learn all the techniques and find which techniques give you the best tools for the current job you're using. Oh, that's great. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, on to, the, on to probably the next and last story. Um, how to use your website to attract millennials. I, I thought it was a great title, actually. Uh, um, and it, yeah, well, yeah, go on. I believe uh, it's called Clickbait. Very yeah. effective for attracting millennials. It got me to look at it. And it comes from Web Dev Studios. I know it's one of their um, writers, but... Um, at least it comes from Web Dev Studios and always got a lot of time for them. So um, I don't need to start. Rachel, did you have time to have a quick movie of this one or did this, this one escape you as well? I did have a chance to read over this one. And I mean, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It was, I didn't really get much out of it. It kind of seems like it was just pointing out the obvious but to me, but I guess I'm kind of borderline millennial. But I did enjoy, I, one part that jumped out at me was the, where they said that there were, millennials are known for expecting transparency, uh, which I thought was interesting to point out that there does seem to be, you know, the last few years, more pushes for, you know, knowing what in the world companies are you know, doing online and like with all the Facebook and the Twitter stuff and like the recent Twitter stuff with Alex Jones and all the pushback on that, even though that wasn't you know, really millennials in the government questioning them, which also makes me think of all the funny, you know, questions that these, that these like Senate hearings that they're, they were asking like Zuckerberg and stuff about like basically how the internet works and they clearly had no idea, which was really funny, but not in an actual ha ha way. Um, but yeah. So other than that, you know, it was just, you know, talking about how they're on their phones a lot and, so ultimately, it was just more about, you know, but that's kind of everyone. Everyone's is on their phone a lot. Yeah, I was in two making, minds making with your it. Pro- yeah, I was in two minds with it, Rachel. I, I, I thought... I thought this is a load of shit, really. <laughs> and um, basically, um, I, I know why we do it, but why... I'm going to ask Spence... I'm going to put this to you, Spence. What, what is it about the human condition why we want to put people into these finite groups, millennials, um, Generation X, and then we put other groups in? Because it's fundamentally a load. It's a shorthand. I know why we do it, and I'm just as guilty as anybody, Spencer, but fundamentally it's just a heap of shit, really, isn't it? Uh, well, like, like <laughs> let me tell you, like, if you like want to talk to like a group of millennials, like 
you probably like should be like a millennial because like I refuse to like talk. I know where you're coming like, from. Like, but I will not do it. No, you know what I'm saying. Stop. Like, like I just will not you know do it. Okay, so here's the definitive. There's a person who's very well known, who is a millennial and does very well. I'm 51, 52 this year, so I feel like an old fart. But I'm going to say, well, it could be worse. You could be. Oh, conscious. Hold on, conscious choice. Conscious choice. I have teenage boys and I have my peers. Conscious choice. I do not think that I have the capability, even though I could sell ice cream to somebody in Alaska. I do not think I have the capability to attract millennials to my products and services. I feel like I can sell anything to anybody of my age group or older. And I feel like I can maybe figure out what my kids are doing. But like, I can't like figure out like what the hell the priorities are of these millennial groups. So I'm not answering your question, but I am saying this article overlooks, I think the most important thing is why do you want to attract millennials? Mm -hmm. And most people who are not millennials should not attract them because it's like trying to figure out why the raccoon is in your garbage can. I mean, if you're not a raccoon, you're never going to figure it out. That's okay, it. Can I, I have to leave in like one second. So uh, first of all, I think there's one millennial in the room right now, and that's Rachel. Just I'm guessing that you're like at least two years younger than me, which would put you into that category. Um, the the um, reality is the people you're talking about, Spencer, are not millennials. They're the next generation, which are the digital natives, or like the people who were born after the internet was actually a thing that everyone had access to, which are a completely different species of humans. Um, the, that article is clickbait garbage and has no actual value because all it says is millennials like things like transparency and everything. That is not something that millennials want at all. It just plays into this concept that millennials are these people who are totally different. They're, they're different, but not in the way that's described there. Uh, and there are a lot of pieces of that article where I'm like, I read it and I go, no, that's not actually how, <laughs> like that is, that is factually wrong and weird. It, I feel like the author read a bunch of articles about millennials and then wrote a some, like some summary article about it. That said, if you were wondering why Ciara was a coach on World of Dance last week, the reason is because she has a new album out or at least a new single that was released today because that's what I do now. I give you updates on music industry news every day before I leave. The end. I pretty much only follow you on Twitter for your dancing comments. This will, this will be both. <laughs> okay. Thank you all. I have to leave. Thanks, Morton. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye Morton. Bye. Um, yeah, I... I just don't get it. I, I just really, really don't get it in some ways. But I, I, I know where you're coming from, Spence. I've had some conversation where, where somebody's come up and said, hey, bro. And I said, I'm not your bro, mate. Hey, bro. <laughs> uh, bro. I'm not your mate, bro. I'm, I'm a geezer from uh, North London. And calling me a bro isn't going to go down too well. The, the, I get away the, the, with it because actually a lot of Americans like me to insult them, actually. They start laughing. Especially you, you, when become, I you, you become your parents. I mean, it, it, this is not like anything I ever aspired to, but when, what you understand is you become your parents and you remember when you were looking at your parents the way that I'm looking at my kids or my younger potential prospective clients. And I say, I get why I'm so weird and different. So I've given up trying to be that uncool, you know, weird uncle that's selling stuff to the younger generation. And I say, you know who I look cool and smart to? My peers and the older people. And I suppose the market's diminishing, but then I can maybe relate to the kids that I have as age. And, and that's the bottom line. The bottom line is this is how it's always been back in the 50s with rock and roll and probably turn of the century, those uncool people driving around, you know, wagons instead of cars. That's just the way it is. Nobody who's 50 is going to get an audience of 30-year-olds. And even 30-year-olds aren't going to get an audience, apparently, of 20s or, tw or teens because there's not a teenager alive today that's on Facebook. They're going to not be caught dead on Facebook for the same reasons that, like, oh, those uncool college kids and the, my parents are on there. So the article is just funny because why do you want to attract anybody? It's because you can actually make a sale with them or a relationship with them and that's just not going to happen unless you're inventing the software that they don't know you're 50 years old.
All I right. mean, ultimately, like what this... You make me feel very depressed, Spence. Okay. You're it's one of the olds. Spence. It's a good thing. It's a good thing because you know what? It's You, you remember that guy from CD Baby? Sorry about that, Rachel. I didn't mean to step on you. But like, uh, remember uh, CD Baby's founder? Uh, having a brain fart for a second. Oh, but, Derek uh, Sivers. Uh, what was his name? Derek Sivers. Derek Sivers. His big thing was, hell yes, right? And it's a decision process whereby, you know, he did a lot of cool, interesting things. But he says, people ask me to do stuff all the time. He's like, if I don't just get excited and say, hell yes, I say, hell no. And I think that's the thing. There's a big world out there, 6.5 billion people online or something like that. I don't know. However, pick the people you want to deal with and then don't worry about the millennials or whatever these kids are. Yeah, I'm going I'm to jump in here and, and, and I'm just going to say that all these articles that I see, well, why would you want to attract millennials? Because obviously they're killing uh, malls, they're killing mortgages, uh, they eat <laughs> avocado toast, you know, all these like dumb ass articles. You know, it's no different than, than any other generation that's ever existed, guys. I mean, it's like get off my lawn and back in my day, you right. know, uh, it, I mean, honestly, like millennials are not even the youngest demographic around anymore. So it, it's it's all just like buzzwords and crap like that. I mean, in my mind. Um, look, uh, me and my wife, our kids are basically, well, they're in their 20s, right? That's millennial, right? The tail end. So there you go. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer from back in the day. Um, I, the, the three things that I took out of this article could really apply to any demographic, any generational group, not just millennials. Uh, the three things that I got out of it were, hey, they use their phone a lot. My in-laws use their phone a lot. They're boomers. I mean, they're on their phone all day long. So uh, have a mobile-friendly site and you'll be fine. Uh, hey, millennials, they want personalized and authentic content. Don't we all? Uh, whatever demographic or whatever target audience that you're trying to hit, make sure you have stories that resonate with them, you know, imagery that of people that, you know, fit into that group or, you know, look like them or, you know, are in the same age group or whatever, whatever it is. Um, and use influencers. If you are into influencer marketing, you know, target people that, you know, they watch or listen to. And basically social media, and that's common sense. If you want to be a brand, you got to be on social media as well, because that's how a lot of people get their information. And sad to say, uh, that's the newspaper for a lot of people these days. It's either Facebook or Twitter or, you know, something else. That's, that's how they get information. So those things apply not just to millennials. They apply to any demographic, any age group from, you know, People just born to, you know, geezers and the boomers that are one foot in the grave. So there you go. I'm going to let Rachel have the last word. She started off this conversation. I'm going to let, got any thoughts of what we just discussed, Rachel? Well, I mean, yeah, he just touched on pretty much what I want to say. That Most of those, any of the actual like good stuff in this article is just kind of like general how to make your website good, like, and to pretty much talk to anyone, you know, be transparent and genuine, you know, make sure that your website's accessible for all kinds of devices, mostly phones, you know, things like that. And I mean, all the good meat in that was just kind of like just general good it tips. It was a good title, her. wasn't it? But, people, uh, yeah. It but was, people like, people like to be on their phones. People like to see genuine um, websites. Like people don't want to be lied to. People don't want to be, you know, bamboozled or whatever word you want to use. And, you know, if I you quite agree with that, actually, Rachel, I think, uh, I think a sizable part of the population wants to be lied to all the time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, but that's, that's a whole other podcast. conversation yeah. to get into. Yeah. Right, I, I think it's been a great a uh, couple of the uh, panelists left early. I don't know if it was for you. I think it was for you. Total boredom yeah. and jet lag, but there we go. <laughs> uh, rather but the hardcores be made. Um, Rachel, how can people find you and learn more about you and what you're up to, Rachel? What's the best ways? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter a lot, Bama Designer. And then BamaDesigner.com is like my homepage where you can find all my links and everything. And you can learn about WP Campus and you can see where I'm speaking and things like that. And Rachel's a really smart lady and I always listen to her and I do follow her, her stuff as well. Uh, um, Spencer, 
Uh, um, how can people learn more about you or what you're up to? Right. If you have any questions about how to handle or make a profitable WordPress membership site or the business around it, you can find me at wplaunchify.com and we can have a nice roadmap consultation. There we go. A nice little chat with Spencer. Uh, um, <laughs> sorry, John. John, John, oh dear. John, how can people? Well, hello, fellow kids. Um, Anyway, you can find me at my website, which is LockdownSEO.com. Also, if you're on YouTube, check out my YouTube channel. We're publishing new SEO tips for manufacturing companies each and every week. Just uh, go on YouTube, hashtag LockdownSEO. You'll find us. How do the fine people get a hold of you, Jonathan? It's really, I'm all over the internet, really, like a rash that you don't want, really. We do two podcasts, the WP Tonic Show, uh, one focus on helping you build a successful course online. We do that on Wednesdays. And then we have this great fun Friday show um, with a, with the crazy, monod- the crazy host. Uh, um and if you want to go to the WP Tonic site, we've got a lot of content about helping you build a successful course. And um, with WordPress, hopefully, uh, um, it's um, combining education and WordPress is a bit of a passion for me. Uh, um, so we've got a load of content and um, just and you can find me on... I've been cutting back on the social media recently. I've been having a, having a little bit of break, but I think um, I rejuvenated and I will be entering the social media a bit more in the coming months. Um, we'll see you next week, folks, where we're going to have a fantastic panel and a, hopefully a fantastic discussion like this week. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.